Mark, Luke, and John. As we noted several weeks ago, Mark is writing his gospel, his biography of Jesus, probably based on uh, the stories uh, that came from Peter the Apostle, as Peter and Mark were uh, ministry partners, missionary partners, uh, later on after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. So Mark's gospel, in a lot of ways, is uh, maybe Peter's gospel, uh, as, uh, as Mark is relaying much of Peter's teaching and memories uh, of Jesus to uh, a first century uh, Christian audience. Uh, I've wondered, I wonder if uh, you have uh, been like me and in a situation, in a moment, in a scenario, just completely missed the point of what was going on. Uh, some of you, uh, we're in February now, so most of you have probably given up on your New Year's resolution of going to the gym every day. But if you were one of those people who started with the resolution of going to the gym every day in 2023, uh, and you were to go to the gym, and you just walked in and sat down on some equipment, never really touched anything, but just sat there and looked around and watched everybody else working out, uh, you may have fulfilled your obligation to go to the gym every day, but you kind of missed the point in going to the gym every day, right? The gym does not exist for you to go and be a spectator. And if you do, that's just creepy. Stop it. <laughs> Gyms exist for people to get work done, not to just watch other things that are going on. And so if you go to the gym and just sit there and don't do anything, you've missed the point. And so it is, you can miss the point by, uh, by, by, failing to realize what is the most important thing or the, the purpose of, of any particular event that, uh, or an individual or teaching or whatever that is right in front of you. Some of us have minds that are easily distracted and we, like dogs, chase after the nearest you know, moving squirrel or whatever and miss the point altogether. There is a danger as we come to Mark's gospel, particularly verses 21 through 39, and much of what happens throughout Jesus' ministry, as he is performing signs and wonders, healing people, casting out demons, raising the dead, uh, giving uh, the ability to walk to people who have been paralyzed. It is easy for us to see all of Jesus' signs and wonders and miss the point. Miss the point of the signs and wonders. As we come to Mark 21, 21 to 39, we get the first of Jesus' miracles, His signs, His powerful works. And in these verses, uh, we see Jesus teaching in the synagogue, uh, casting a demon out of a a demon-oppressed man, healing a sick woman, healing many other sick people, casting out many other demons. But the point, He tells us, uh, at the end of this passage, is that He does not come to do just miracles. And that's the main idea of our passage this morning, as we strive to not miss the point, to understand that Jesus' ministry is more than miracles. It's more than miracles. As we read this text this morning and investigate it, we should come to understand that the purpose of Jesus' signs and wonders, these miraculous deeds that he does, is not to be attention-grabbing in and of themselves. But the purpose of Jesus' signs and wonders is to validate his preached message of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus does signs to say, listen to the message. Jesus demonstrates authority over the spiritual and physical worlds in these verses. And he does so in service to his authoritative message that the kingdom of God has come with his arrival. Don't miss the point. I would invite you, as you're comfortably able, stand as we honor God by reading his word, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 39. You read along in your copy of God's Word, or you can follow along on the screen uh, behind me. We read after Jesus has just called the first 
four of his disciples, Simon and Andrew, James and John, in Mark one twenty one, these words. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak. Because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. You may be seated. Jesus' ministry is more than just miracles. In this passage, we see two things about Jesus. We see His authority and we see His ministry highlighted by Mark as he's writing down this biography of Jesus. So let's look first at Jesus' authority. What do we learn about Jesus' authority from verses 21 through 34 of our passage today? Well, first we find that Jesus has authority to teach. Now, Jesus would have been invited by the synagogue leaders in Capernaum to teach that day. You don't just show up and decide, oh, I'm going to be the teacher today. No, an invitation would have been extended to read scriptures, to pray, to maybe teach a little. And it seems that Jesus had already begun to develop some respect among synagogue leaders in Galilee that he would be invited to teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so he does. But it's what Jesus teaches that has everyone in awe that day. And for whatever reason, Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus was teaching on this first Sabbath of his teaching, as Mark records it, though we do find a lot of Jesus' teaching throughout the rest of the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels as well. The kinds of things Jesus teaching seeming rather uh, uh, radical, um, uh, catching people's attention in strange ways, putting people off of their religious balance a little bit to try to get their attention. But at any rate, as Jesus is there in the synagogue in Capernaum, he's reading scripture, expounding on the scriptures, teaching it in the synagogue. And the people who are there, Mark says, were astonished. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. This word authority, it shows up in verse 22 and it shows up in verse 27, specifically about the way Jesus teaches with authority implies, this word authority, implies not only the ability to do something, but the inherent right to do it. 
Someone with authority has the prerogative to choose to do something when and where they want to in the way that they want to. Jesus has authority to teach God's word, and it's not a borrowed authority like the scribes would borrow authority from experts in the law of God before them. It's not a borrowed authority in the sense that rabbis would borrow authority from rabbis who taught them. They would teach in the vein. Jesus is teaching on his own authority. He's not teaching according to the tradition of rabbi so-and-so. He's teaching of his own accord, his own ability, his own personal right to expound on the Scriptures. Now, from all appearances, the crowd that day is recognizing Jesus' teaching as altogether different from that of the rabbis and the scribes. His teaching comes not with the permission of those who came before, but it comes with the authority of God Himself. They are astonished. Now, the people are astonished because, as we know, They are hearing the Word of God taught by the divine Son of God. Now, the people in in Capernaum in the synagogue that day may not have understood that, but they knew something was different. Now, Mark has already pulled back the curtain for us. He reveals to us who Jesus is from the very first verse of Mark. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. We know that this is God in flesh among men teaching. We know why the people were astonished uh, uh, by Jesus' teaching, because He is God in flesh among them, opening His own word for them. Now, in short order... Jesus' authority to teach God's word without training and without power, uh, I'm sorry, without training and with power, gives way to his expression of a different sort of authority. Jesus has authority to teach, but he also demonstrates authority over demons. Immediately, Mark tells us, this is his favorite word, I think he uses it three times in our passage today. Immediately, a man with an unclean spirit, a demon-oppressed man, comes into the synagogue. Now, if you ever thought that demons were respecters of sacred spaces, let this be a warning to you that they are not. There's no special covering of protection that comes over you as you walk through these doors on a Sunday morning. God did not keep this demon-oppressed man from walking into the synagogue that day because there's some sort of magical covering over the synagogue. No, this demon-oppressed man goes into the synagogue. And instantly... This demon confronts Jesus. This demon tries to play an authority game with Jesus. He says, what do you want to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now this demon is doing a number of things here in just these few short sentences to establish some sense of authority over Jesus. He uses Jesus' name and his place of origin, Jesus of Nazareth. It was often thought in the ancient world that if you knew a particular God's name and the right formula to use in saying that God's name, that you could wield power over that God. It may be that this demon is thinking, if I use this, if I use Jesus's name in just the right way, I can demonstrate my authority over him. He also seeks to expose Jesus's agenda. What are you doing here? Have you come to destroy us? And he outs Jesus's identity. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, this is not a term that's regularly used of Jesus throughout the Gospels. It is um, uh, the, the idea of the Holy One of Israel is a title that is applied to God all throughout the uh, prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And it may be that the, the demon is recognizing this, but he's trying to out Jesus' identity, maybe even prematurely before it was Jesus' will to do that. 
Now, I've never seen a demon-oppressed person that I know of, and I'm not really in a hurry to. But this scene of this demon-oppressed man, this demon confronting Jesus in the synagogue is a, is a fairly intimidating scene. I read it and I go, I don't know if I want any part of that. If someone like that showed up on a Sunday morning, I might just be looking for the nearest exit. But Jesus, the authoritative teacher, doesn't even flinch. Instead, the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus, tells the demon, be silent, come out of him. It's a very terse command, and and our English versions, our English translations probably soften it a little bit. It's something like, silence, shut up. I know we're not supposed to say that, Kai, I apologize. (laughs) Jesus gives this quick command, silence, come out of him. The same thing comes up later in verse 34 where Jesus is casting out lots of demons. They're outside the house of, uh, they're outside of Simon's house and he commands all of them not to speak or to say anything about who he is. Uh, Mark tells us he told them to be silent. He would not let them speak a word because they knew who he was. The question arises at this point, what is, why does Jesus silence the demons? Why does he tell them to be quiet? It's a strange thing to see. There are several times in Mark's gospel that Jesus forbids certain people and even unclean spirits not to tell others who he is. He commands a lot of people to keep it secret, his identity. And in every circumstance, the reason for this messianic secrecy is a little bit different. The reason he forbids some individuals from telling people who he is is different from the reason he forbids demons from speaking about who he is. But when it comes in this place to silencing the demons, the most likely reason is that Jesus is silencing them in order to avoid receiving recognition in the world as the Messiah through unreliable demonic sources. Demons, being fallen angelic beings opposed to the glory of God, opposed to the will of God, are never to be trusted. Even when they speak what is true. It cannot be known that they are speaking the truth. So, Jesus shuts them up so that people will not be able to later say, there's no way this Jesus could be the Messiah. There's no way he could be the Christ or the Son of God because we heard demons saying that he was and they lie about everything. So Jesus shuts up the demons to preserve his his authoritative reputation in integrity. Now, at the moment that Jesus finishes this sentence, shut up, come out of him. The demon convulses the man and comes out. Now, quite different from Jewish exorcists of that day who may have used long incantations and ceremonies for exorcism, Jesus merely speaks a word, silence, come out of him. And the people are amazed because the demon comes out of him. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority. And now they're amazed that his teaching comes with effortless authority over the demonic world as well. So Jesus has authority to teach. He has authority over demons. Things are shaping up around Jesus on this day in Capernaum to demonstrate that he is not like so many other teachers and so many other exorcists who have come before. And yet the day isn't even close to being over. And neither is this demonstration of authority. His authority uh, continues to be shown in his power and his command over illness. So Jesus has authority to teach. He has authority over demons. He has authority over illnesses. As Jesus and his disciples leave the synagogue that day, they go to Simon, uh, Simon's house. Simon will later have his name changed by Jesus, or Jesus will give him the nickname Peter, so it's the same person here. They go to Peter's house, where Peter's mother-in-law is lying ill with a fever. Immediately, Mark tells us, 
Jesus goes to her. He takes her by the hand. He helps her up off the bed. And she is made well and begins to show hospitality to him and to his disciples there in her home. Now, this is a super simple scene. And Jesus will do many other powerful healings throughout his ministry, some even greater than this one. But this one healing tells us all that we need to know about who Jesus is and about his authority, that he has authority. He has the ability and the, and the personal prerogative not only to teach as God and not only to cast out demons with all the power of God, but he has also authority over the physical world and physical illnesses as well. This same power is extended as the day continues to the many who will come to him at the end of that Sabbath day to be healed. And Jesus heals many as well. So what is Mark intending for us to understand about Jesus and his authority in these verses? He's highlighting his authority. It's used twice. He taught his authority. He taught his one with authority, not like the scribes. What is this, the people say? A new teaching with authority. Mark is telling us at least a few things about Jesus here. One. Jesus' authority does not come from men, but it comes from God. He's the Son of God, and His authority comes from God the Father. Jesus does not invoke a rabbi. He doesn't invoke some other greater spirit being and casting out this demon. And He doesn't even consult any medical tradition to do any of what He does here. He's not opening His medical textbook to find out what it is that Simon, uh, Simon's mother-in-law needs. He just heals her. Jesus' authority comes from Himself, from God the Father. It is all within Him. Second, Mark wants for us to know that Jesus doesn't use His authority to gain anything for Himself. He uses His divine authority to teach others about God's kingdom. He uses His spiritual authority to make an oppressed, a spiritually oppressed man whole. And He uses His physical authority, His authority over the world, to help a sick woman who He knew His friend deeply loved. And what does Jesus get for all of this? His fame spreads, yes, Mark tells us, but no one brings him any money, just more needy people. (laughs) And he heals them too. Jesus doesn't use his authority to gain anything for himself, but only to serve those who are in deep need. Third, Mark shows us that the way Jesus uses his authority shows us something of the compassion of God for the vulnerable. The source of Jesus' authority is himself, He uses it in service to others. And we see the heart of God in Jesus the Christ for vulnerable people. Jesus is not teaching in the temple in Jerusalem among the Jewish elite on this day to gain fame and accolades as a great authoritative preacher. No, he's just preaching in the little old country synagogue in Capernaum. And it's to these fishermen and their families that he is proclaiming the power and the kingdom of God. And the man that he frees from this evil spirit has nothing to offer Jesus in return for the exorcism, but a life of worship. Even Simon's mother-in-law, the most that Jesus gets from her after she's healed is the glad service of a humble Galilean supper. Maybe a little bit of bread, a bit of wine, maybe a little piece of salted fish. That's all Jesus gets for his exercise of authority to teach over the physical world and over the spiritual world. As we see Jesus' authority displayed, demonstrated, highlighted by Mark in this passage, I want for you today to do one thing, to know who Jesus is. See and know Jesus, the servant king who gives his life in service to sinners. Know the character of the Savior. Know the character of the Messiah. Know the heart of the Son of God for those that he will minister to. 
It is not Jesus' intention to make a name for himself or to make a name for other people. It's his intention to reveal with truth who God is and how his kingdom comes into the world. It's not his intention to gain a large following by doing lots of signs and wonders. It's his intention to have compassion upon those who can do nothing about their own desperate situation. This beautiful reality of Jesus as the servant king who comes to serve and give his life is ultimately displayed in his service to all sinners on the cross. Jesus' ultimate mission is to die for the sins of the world so that sinners, by trusting him, can be made whole. Jesus doesn't come just to deal with your problems of today. He comes to deal with your most severe and significant problem, which is the fact that we are each separated from God, from fellowship uh, with God because of our sin. And he becomes sin for us. He takes the curse of sin on himself on the cross, dies there as we all deserve to, and is raised from the dead three days later. So as to say, everyone who trusts in me receives this service of salvation. The Son of Man did not come, Mark says in Mark 10, or Jesus says in Mark 10, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How does Jesus use his divine authority? He uses it in service of others to the glory of God as he teaches about his kingdom and he makes sick and and oppressed people whole. So Mark shows us Jesus' authority. But then in the last four or five verses of this passage, verses 35 through 39, uh, Mark shows us Jesus' ministry. Shows us something about Jesus' ministry. His ministry is first empowered by prayer. Look again at verse 35. After a long day of healing people, casting out demons, teaching, we read, rising very early the next morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus' ministry is empowered by prayer. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus often did this. He often went away to desolate places to pray. Why? Why does Jesus get up early in the morning to go pray? What need has the very Son of God, what need has the Messiah to pray to God the Father? What is this God-man with all authority in heaven and on earth? He's demonstrated already before. What in the world does he need to pray about? Well, Jesus' prayer that early morning demonstrates a couple of things for us, I think. It demonstrates, first of all, his submission to God the Father and his dependence on God the Father to empower his ministry. Yes, Jesus is fully God. He is of the same substance as the Father. He has all divine authority. And in the verses before, we see him exercising that authority. But also, Jesus, the Son, humbled himself to become human, to add humanity to his divinity. And in so doing, he demonstrates to us that every human being will live by dependence on God. Even the Christ, the Son of God, will not deprive himself of the strength and sustenance that the Father provides. So he goes away early in the morning to pray, and he does it often. Second, Jesus' commitment to prayer demonstrates that the source of his demonstrates to us the source of his power for carrying out his ministry. Again, yes, Jesus has all authority, but he is not going to use his authority apart from the Father's direction. Yes, Jesus can do all things. Mark has shown us in the verses that come before this. But Jesus is determined as the Son of God not to do anything outside of the Father's will. And it is prayer. It is regular, private, humble, secret, 
dependent prayer that empowers the Messiah's mission. I don't have a hard application for you here in this regard, but I do want to encourage you this morning to cultivate your life with God following the example of Jesus through intentional submissive prayer. If you are struggling as a follower of Jesus to find strength, courage, bravery, wisdom for sharing the gospel, for proclaiming the good news of Jesus in a culture that is hard to do that in, you need to pray. If you are struggling to live on mission for Jesus, you can find strength and empowerment for that through prayer. And here in praying, I'm not saying you get down on your knees early in the morning and you say, God, bless my day today. No, get down on your knees that morning and say, God, what would you have me to do today? Don't pray simply, God, here are my plans. Would you bless them? Pray, God, here are my plans. They may be good. They may be wrong. If they're good, Father, be, in, be with me in all that I do. I trust that you've directed my plans. If my plans are bad, change them. If you're struggling to find power, to find victory over sin, friend, don't keep trying harder. Keep, start trusting God with it more. And do it in prayer, humble, dependent prayer, submissive prayer, saying, God, my life's a wreck right now, and I've tried to fix it myself, and I've only made it worse, so you fix it. I'm submitting to you. I want to go where you will have me. I want to do what you would have me to do. I want to be in the center of your will. Too long I've been trying to drive this car, and all I've done is try to drive it over a cliff too many times, so you be in charge. Cultivate your life with God through intentional, submissive prayer. Jesus did it. You think you don't need to? Jesus' ministry is empowered by prayer. And His ministry, we see in verses 36 and 37 through through the end of our passage today, His mission is focused on proclamation. Write that down if you're writing notes. Jesus' mission is focused on proclamation. Look at these verses again. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him. They said, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next town so I can preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Verses 36 and 37 are interesting because they seem to demonstrate that Jesus has, by his healing and his power over demons, he has gained quite a following. Everyone's looking for him. Now, we might expect that Jesus would think that this is a good thing. Oh, good. Everyone's looking for me. They should. And that he would return and go do some more healing for these people. But instead, that early morning, he tells the disciples, we're not going back to that crowd. We need to move on to the next town so that I can preach there too, because that is why I came out. Preaching is why I came out. Isn't that interesting? Mark recounts for us this demonstration of Jesus' great authority in the synagogue over this demon-oppressed man, his authority to heal sicknesses. And then in the very next passage, Jesus says, I'm not here to heal people primarily. I'm here to preach. Isn't that interesting? In verse 38, Jesus tells us exactly what his mission focus is. Until his death and resurrection, Jesus' mission and ministry is not focused on healing and exorcism first but preaching, declaring the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, as we saw him do in Mark 1, verse 15. Here in verse 38, he says it is this, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom that is his focus. And when you think about the ministry of Jesus, what is it that comes to mind most readily? 
Is it his powerful signs and wonders? Casting out demons, healing the sick? Or is it his authoritative word and what he taught about the person of God and the kingdom of God and the way to redemption? When you think about... When you think about Jesus, about his life, when you think about what you are seeking from Jesus as you strive to follow after him, what reasons do you most often give? Why do you go seeking for Jesus? Healing? Miracles? Are you like everybody in the town that's looking for him that morning? Wondrous signs? Or are you seeking Jesus for the clear and compelling truth of knowing God in faith and entering into his kingdom? Because Jesus has one focus. And his primary focus is not healing and exercising. Not exercising, exorcising. His primary ministry, until he goes to the cross to bear the weight of sin for all, his purpose is preaching, declaring a message about the kingdom of God and how to be in it. I wonder if you notice how our whole passage today, verses 21 through 39, is bookended. There's common themes at the beginning and at the end. It begins in verse 21 with Jesus teaching in the synagogue, right? And in verse 39, where do we find Jesus again? Preaching in the synagogues as the very thing that he came to do. Let's go to the other towns so I can preach there also. That's why I came. I want for us to understand this today, friends, that the healings and the exorcisms, the raising of people from the dead that Jesus does are not the primary focus of his ministry. They are not the primary purpose for His coming. Now, they demonstrate His authority over the spiritual world, His authority over the physical world, His authority even over death. Yes, and that is awesome. We should glory in that reality. But every one of His signs, every sick person He heals, every oppressed person that He makes whole, every dead person that He raises again, is ultimately meant to validate and to draw people's attention to his mission focus, which is not miracles, but a message. A message that he gives, revealing the way to the Father through what he says. His mission is proclamation. In fact, all of the miracles of Jesus, without the authoritative word of Jesus to point us to the Father, still leaves everyone around him lost in sin and bound for hell. Friend, you don't need a miracle, you need a message. You don't need Jesus to dramatically change some difficult thing in your life. You need Jesus to save you from sin and make you right with the Father. You don't need comfort for a few moments, you need life for eternity. And that's the message. And that's why Jesus came. I didn't come to make just people feel good and be happy and be able to walk again, says Jesus. I came that they might know the Father. And they're not going to know the Father by signs and wonders. They'll know the Father through the message that I preach for sharing with them clearly in human language and words they can understand who the Father is and what He's done to redeem them. The good news of the kingdom is not a resume of miracles. (laughs) It's a declaration. It's a proclamation that the righteous rule of God has come near to us in Christ Jesus And that there is a way into that kingdom as beloved citizens by repenting of sin and believing in Christ. These words, this message, this proclamation is what tells us how we can be right with God. It's what tells us how we can be forgiven of sin. It's what tells us how we can be made spiritually whole. Friends, 
Jesus knew that what the beleaguered and weary people in Galilee and in Capernaum in the first century needed were not miracles, but a message. A clear word from God about His kingdom that has come among them and how to be a part of it. What you need today, friend, is not a miracle. What you need is a message. There is much that we learn about Jesus and His powerful signs of healing and exorcism. We learn from Him mostly that He is powerful. That's what we learn from His his miraculous works and signs. He has power. But we come to know Jesus personally. We know him, come to know Him as the Christ, the Son of God, by hearing, by listening to, paying attention to what He says. So here's where the rubber meets, for you, rubber meets the road for you this morning. First of all, you need to know Christ through believing what He proclaims. You need to know Christ by believing what He proclaims. Do you want to be right with the Father? Do you want to be a member of this kingdom, of a citizen of this kingdom of God that Jesus is proclaiming? There's one way to it. Repentance of sin and faith in Christ. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verses, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this wonderful word that we remind ourselves of often, that you, it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is a gift of God that we are saved from sin, that we receive by trusting Jesus. It is not by works. It's not by anything that you do, brothers and sisters. So that no one can boast about, look how good I did that God would love me. No, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works following our faith, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Friend, what you don't need today is for your bum leg to get healed. What you need today is for your broken heart to be made whole by repenting of sin and trusting in Christ. You don't need a miracle, you need a message. Second, if you have come to know Jesus through believing what he proclaims, that the kingdom of God is near and you enter in through faith in Jesus the Messiah, then follow Christ by proclaiming the same message. You follow Christ. You demonstrate your discipleship as one who is walking after Jesus by doing what he does. Not miracles, but preaching, proclaiming, declaring the good news of the gospel. And in fact, you want to see that on display, just turn a few books later to the book of Acts, which is a history of the, the, of the, the early church in its first few years. We see the apostles, the disciples, many evangelists, missionaries going about all throughout the world. And what are they doing? Signs and wonders everywhere they go? Eh, sometimes, but not everywhere. Most of the time, actually all of the time, whether signs and wonders are there or not, what are they doing? Preaching. Why? Because people don't need a miracle, people need a message. A message that there is a God who made them, that we have separated ourselves from by sin, but who in His love has made a way to be put back into fellowship with Him. You don't need a hip replacement, you need a heart replacement. You need to know the God of the universe who made you for this purpose, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. That's why Jesus came to direct you to Him, that you might know Him in truth, that you might know Him clearly and not be wondering and guessing about about what, what, what is this God like? He's done all these wonderful things, but, but how do I relate to Him? No, 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 no. Jesus tells you exactly how we do it. Through faith in Him, trust in Him, and He paves the way for our relationship with God by dying for sins on the cross. 
I encourage you this morning. I know that in the world and on TV, there are a lot of modern so-called miracle workers who claim to be Christian, who tell you to come to their conference, to come to their show, to send them money, to buy a handkerchief that's been apparently blessed, and and be healed, and and be made prosperous, and, and receive the blessing of God. Friends, work, the work of charlatans like these is often to their own fame and to their own benefit. Jesus came to proclaim good news. Good news. Not that miracles are happening. No, he came to proclaim good news that God's kingdom was here because his king, the Christ, was on the scene. And that his arrival, Jesus' arrival as the Son of God and Messiah, is what brings that kingdom. Jesus' mission is about accomplishing so much more than just physical comfort. And as a church, as Christ's people, we must be about so much more than helping people feel good. Jesus has come to set us right with God, to say sin is real, and so is hell. And what you deserve for your sin against God is hell, but good news. God in His love has made a way for you to be made right with Him again. And not by winking at your sin, not by just waving His hand over it, but by paying the debt of your sin Himself through His Son, Jesus, and by raising Him from the dead gloriously, wondrously, victoriously, so that all of us who find our faith in Him would also have the hope of resurrection from the dead and life forever with God. Jesus didn't come to just give comfort. He came to set us right with the Father. So this morning, friend, come to know and trust the real Jesus. Come to know and trust the real Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who gives His life as a ransom for many. In a moment here, we're going to sing a song of response today, a song called Surrender. In whatever regard uh, you may need to respond to God's Word today, I encourage you, do it faithfully, do it obediently. As a Christian, you may, have been, you may be fighting with surrendering to Jesus as Lord over your life, submitting to His authority over your life, and you need to surrender to that. Say, Jesus, I've been holding back. I've been trying to do it too much on my own. I've trusted you for salvation, but everything else I'm doing all by myself, so I surrender. I'm I'm giving up. I'm giving over to you. You be Lord today. And maybe, friend, this morning that you need to know this Jesus for who he is and for what he says about who he is, about who the Father, who God is, and how to be right with him. You may not be a Christian yet today. Or maybe you thought being a Christian was about something else altogether. Maybe you thought it was about being healthy and wealthy and happy. I'm telling you, it's about being whole and in right relationship with God. So maybe you've come to understand the good news of the kingdom clearly today. And the Holy Spirit's helped you to see that. And you need to surrender your whole life to Jesus as Lord for the first time. Maybe you've been a a God-fearer, a God-reverer. Oh, even a, a sometimes worshiper of God who has who maybe never not believed that God was, but never really trusted Jesus this way. I'm inviting you this morning as we sing a song of surrender to trust Jesus today. If you need to know how to do that, if you need help and praying counsel about how to do that, I'll be here at the front responding myself. But you come, grab me by the arm. Let's talk this morning about how the Lord is calling you to surrender to Him. Let's pray together that He would make you able to do so and give you faith to do so. And in all that we do this morning as we respond, let's respond in faith and obedience to this Jesus. His ministry is far more than miracles and it's way better than that. It's about fellowship with God. Don't miss the point. Let's pray together.